<laughs> All right, so you guys know that I'm a, a chart person, so let me share some some charts. <laughs> um, these come from the the book, The Literary Message of Isaiah from Avraham Gileadi. And these just really helped me kind of put a perspective on uh, what this second part is. So the first part of Isaiah, um, we studied about ruin and rebirth, but now Isaiah switches gears into rebellion and compliance by focusing in on the story of Ahaz versus the story of Hezekiah. And so tonight we're going to be studying Ahaz in depth next week, Hezekiah, but here is the, the chiastic structure of the, the rebellion and compliance principle. So it begins and ends with Isaiah's prophetic commission. Uh, it begins with his commission on the son servant level, but it ends on his commission as a seraph. And so uh, after the, the commission, we look at the historical preface and then we take a look at the king's rebellion versus compliance. And then at the apex, it, the people do what the king does. So um, here we see a, a great example of Davidic covenants and what they do with, with the people. The king follows the people and the people follow the king. Uh, if the king is rebellious, the people are rebellious and, and vice versa. So we'll be looking at this, the, the first fin of the, the uh, chiasm this week and, and next week we'll follow up with, with Hezekiah. So um, just kind of taking a look at the the map of, of what we're talking about tonight. So we have the, the northern and southern tribes of uh, Israel. Uh, so Ahaz is in the southern tribes um, uh, there in, in the tribe of Judah, and Pekah is the leader in the north. And Pekah sides with Rezin, even a little bit more north of that, um, in the capital city of Damascus there. And those two form like this little coalition and they're gonna go against Ahaz and try to root him out. And um, then we see that Ahaz kind of bucks the system and ends up going above them and, and siding with Assyria, which is a bad move <laughs> for, for everyone involved. And so um, I just wanted to, to quickly go uh, read a little bit of Ahaz from Wikipedia, because obviously it's a, a reputable source and we can trust everything that comes from there, right? Um, but I, I find that a couple of the paragraphs really help to, to distinguish uh, who he is and uh, get an idea of the storyline. So Ahaz, um, he commences his reign at the age of 20. So he's just a young buck, um, but he's confronted with some major issues right off the bat. And so it says immediately upon his accession, Ahaz had to meet a coalition formed by Northern Israel and Damascus. And these Kings wished to compel him to join them in opposing the Assyrians who were, were gonna start coming against them. But that was just kind of their front story. They were really trying to root out Ahaz. Um, so Isaiah- like the Mormon stories, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it definitely does. We, we see this pattern over and over again. Um, and I am sure if we were doing a study on Book of Mormon, we'd pull out the exact same uh, principles, the exact same chiasms and, and everything from there too. Um, so it says that Isaiah comes and counsels Ahaz to trust in God rather than the foreign allies and tells him to ask for a sign to confirm that this is a true prophecy. But Ahaz refuses saying that he will not test God. And we'll actually read uh, that, that citation there. Um, 
But anyway, so Ahaz then enters into a uh, Davidic covenant. I mean, it's not Davidic because it's not of God, but uh, that same style of covenant with the king of Assyria um, for protection, you know, the, the emperor vassal relationship of, of the ancient Near East. Um, and, and all heck breaks loose. We have quite the, the story here. So let's um, dive in to actually reading uh, chapter six right off the bat. So before I, I hop over to, to that screen, can I get some volunteers who would be willing to, to read a few verses here and there as we're, we're going through? You could either raise your hand on the screen or, or on the thing. Okay, so Rasanne, Alethea, Shamala, um, and Cindy. So yeah, let's go with those four and then I'll uh, kind of rotate through them. Um, so let me screen share over. All right, so for anyone new, we work off of the Isaiah Explained website here for the first few weeks. Um, this is from the Isaiah Institute and it goes through these four different steps really nicely. So we have the Isaiah Institute translation, but it also has a comparative translation where we can look at the King James versus Avraham's translation here, and we can look at the Masoretic text if we knew that. <laughs> We're just gonna be focusing in on, on these columns, but it also has links to the apocalyptic commentary where you can view verse by verse and, and an explanation. And it also has the interactive concordance where you can do word searches, um, uh, kind of like a topical guide of sorts. So um, let's start off in Isaiah 6. And when anybody's reading, um, you know, you can pick the King James version, you can pick the Isaiah Institute version, whichever you'd like. Um, it, it doesn't matter. We're just going to be kind of reading through and uh, uh, trying to glean some, some good stuff out here. So... Um, so let's see, so through verse eight. So, um, Roxanne, could you read verses one through eight for us? Sure. Um, hello, it's been a while. I haven't been able to get on the last two weeks. Oh, shoot, sorry. But, but I have watched the recordings. So, and I have been reading. So yeah, thanks for doing those, by the way. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm in, I'm in Avraham's, um, the book about his translation. Okay. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw my Lord seated on a throne, highly exalted, the skirt of his robe filling the sanctuary. Seraphs stood by him overhead, each having six wings. With two, they would veil their presence, with two, conceal their location, and with two, fly about. They called out to one another and said, Most holy is Jehovah of hosts. The consummation of all the earth is his glory. The threshold shook to its foundation at the sound of those who called, and a mist filled the temple. Then I thought, woe is me, I have been struck dumb, for I am a man of unclean speech, and I live among a people of unclean speech. I have seen the king, Jehovah of hosts, with my own eyes. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, carrying an ember which he had taken with tongs from the altar. Touching it to my mouth, he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your sins are taken away. Your transgressions atoned for. Then I heard the voice of my Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I replied, Here am I. Send me. 
All right, thank you. So how many of us have had that same experience? <laughs> this is this is some crazy no. stuff happening, right? <laughs> um, uh, from different uh, literary points and uh, concordance and everything, we find out that this is Isaiah ascending to the son servant category. And so he's receiving his calling and election shore. He's uh, receiving this vision in the temple. Uh, we know that um, he's actually in uh, the temple there in, in Jerusalem and, and seeing these amazing things. Um, so what from anybody else's studies, uh, what, what do we find uh, out of these verses that can help us um, learn and grow? Like what, what insights do you have? If not, we can go to, to Avraham's uh, commentary on it as well. But I'd just like to, to throw it out if anybody has any uh, things to comment on on this divine vision, this commission that he's receiving thus far. I haven't put I thought, people's hands down, so you'll just have to kind of unmute yourself. Sorry. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that he felt so unworthy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I live among a people of unclean speech. I'm an unclean speech. And that is definitely kind of what we're, that's what we're living in. And I just found it interesting, really a parallel to kind of where, where we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For me, along with what she just said, um, it stood out multiple times, but especially tonight, where in verse six, he says, see, this has touched your lips. To me, it almost looks like a commandment to see. Mm, yeah like we're told to hearken and to hear hearken and heed right mm -hmm. we're told do this and see this has touched your lips doesn't really match normal so for me i'd love to hear any input on that if anybody's got it but it looks like a commandment like we're commanded to see right this is cleanse your mouth and somewhere in the scriptures um in the new testament the lord says uh, it matters not so much what you put in your mouth as what comes out of it mm, yeah. that's what you need to worry about most more what comes out of your mouth than what you put <laughs> in it as far as food is concerned um and so that relates here in some beautiful way that i i'm just learning to understand but the commandment to see and then his sins are taken away and maybe to see that but that has cleansed his lips and to me that means he's cleansed his mouth so that he's not going to speak these blasphemous things or hurtful whatever that so many of us are prone to do, me included. There's my thoughts. That um, reminds me of, and I think we talked about this last week too, when President Nelson had all the priesthood stand up, like awake, arise, you know, that's that commandment. And it's kind of the same thing as seeing a commandment to see, like open your eyes and see, wake up, arise. Yeah. Yeah, awake and arise kind of thing. We see that in temple motifs. We see it in <clears throat> in Nephi uh, when he's receiving his vision as well. That that commandment to to see, uh, look, and I beheld, kind of thing. Um, so it, it pops up to to something in Avraham's commentary. Sorry, who spoke? You can go oh, ahead. Sorry, that was me. I apologize. <laughs> I'm a talker. Oh, you're totally good. Um. I was just going to say along those same lines too, you know, with, um, you know, representing repentance and forgiveness, right? And 
how often it is that we do repent, but we get hung up on our own selves, right? Like, um, like he recognized and he felt bad about his sins. And a lot of times we get stuck there at that point and we forget to forgive ourselves. And I, I think that that part about seeing, like, see, you're cleansed. Like we need to remember that we need to let those things go and we should not be holding on to those sins, but to let them go because yeah. he suffered for them already. Yeah, I really like that. Sometimes the hardest thing is to like forgive ourselves or, or not remember those things or, or let them drudge us down. Yeah. So I was going to say that, um, I, and I'm sure I said this um, with the Abraham book, but there's a talk out there by David Christensen called The Healing Power of Jesus. And he actually talks about this chapter of Isaiah. And it was really interesting because the premise of his talk was the fact that you know, your children will eventually, if you keep the covenants, the tentacles of the church will wrap around them and bring them back into the church. And this, you know, talks about uh, you know, the wings and twain, he did cover his feet and it covers his face and that. And as you think about the temple ceremony and covering your feet um, and certain things that you do in the temple, it's interesting because as, as you keep your covenants, then uh, the coal touching the lips, you know, that Jesus Christ really offered himself from the very beginning of the foundation of the world to heal us and to bring us back into the, the presence if we keep the covenants. And so I thought it was really interesting to read some other things about this, but I've always been impressed by uh, this talk and what it means and that it has an incredible uh, story for all of us. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Thank you. Um, so in Avraham's commentary of verse six, he says that there follows a classic opening of the mouth rite, such as also appears in the Egyptian temple ordinances. The seraphs taking an ember from the altar of the atonement and declaring Isaiah clean implies that atonement has been made or will be made for his sins and transgressions. The burning ember signifies that Isaiah, by virtue of that atonement and through his own repentance process, has attained a purified and sanctified state and is now deemed holy. The opening of the mouth right implies the proper functioning of all the senses, physical and spiritual, as becomes evidenced when Isaiah is healed. And so um, looking more into that, going into Nibli and uh, the Egyptian temple ordinances, he describes how they are, it's not just the mouth, but it's, it's the mouth and the eyes and the ears and, and all of the parts of the body, the, the legs that they uh, may run. And, you know, I, if there's any imagery here that, that we're seeing, and why do we in our initiatory do things twice, one physical and one spiritual, just like this is um, to, to, to wash and, and anoint. And anyway, I thought that that was some interesting imagery here. Because one of the things that always got me hung up on this verse was, okay, so if the ember's hot, why, or like, if it's okay to touch his lips, why is the seraph using tongs? Like, <laughs> shouldn't the, the seraph be um, able to touch it or, or whatever? But um, here we have that, that this is 
kind of a, a temple ordinance and a, a rite of, of sorts to um, perform proper functions, both physical and spiritual. I thought that was insightful. Um, so let's go back and, and finish out this chapter here. Um, let's see, uh, Aletheus on the top of my screen, go ahead and uh, read, uh, finish out this chapter nine through whatever it is. And he said, go and say to these people, go on hearing, but not understanding. Go on seeing, but not perceiving. Make the heart of these people grow fat, dull their ears and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand in their heart and repent and be healed. And I replied, for how long, my Lord? And he said, until the cities lie desolate and without inhabitant, the houses without a man and the land ravaged to ruin. For Jehovah will drive men away and great shall be the exodus from the centers of the land. And while yet a tenth of the people remain in it or return, they shall be burned. But like the terebinth or the oak when it is felled, whose stump remains alive, so shall the holy offspring be what is left standing. So that's quite a prophetic commission, right? I mean, <laughs> you've just seen the Lord and um, the Lord has asked in, in a general sense, uh, who, who will go for us there in, in verse eight. And Isaiah speaks up and, and says to, to send him. Uh, he's ready to, to do it. And okay, so go and do all of this for how long? <laughs> like even, even our prophets sometimes are like, okay, I, I got it. But that, that, that's quite a, a chunk to, to bite off there. <laughs> but um, anyway, I, I just admire Isaiah in this so much and, and what he himself, seeing what he uh, ended up with the, the grand blessings and, and prophetic promises he was able to perform and complete. And then looking back at, at his first little toddler steps here on the son servant level um, uh, is quite remarkable, I think. So I can't help but see like um, a foreshadowing of Christ with here am I send me, right? Yeah. And then when he came, then um, I mean, Jerusalem shortly after that was destroyed, right? Mm -hmm. After, after he was resurrected and left then, uh, sorry, my phone's ringing. Um, then, then all of Jerusalem and was destroyed. And so I just couldn't help but seeing some foreshadowing of Christ. Yeah, well, and Aletheia, sure. I think that's interesting. You point that out because isn't all of that also a foreshadowing of what's to come for us? Mm -hmm. and who has been likened unto jesus for like um joseph smith is the one that oh we can't hear you alethea i see you talking but that's okay julia called me sorry oh 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 <laughs> so just yeah. keep going sorry okay okay so anyway i just um when i read that it stood out to me because i you know i look at isaiah with so much duality right and mm -hmm. And like you said, you know, there's the perspective of Isaiah in his time, but then there's also how, what is that type and shadow for us today? And I think that's when we really start to see, you know, if, I don't know if, if you guys have noticed yourselves or not, but 
I see very much that the prophet is speaking in this same way, right? Mm -hmm. He's kind of veiling things and he'll, after conference um, in October, I think it was, I was like, holy cow, did you guys hear how many times he talked about Zion? Like he's calling us to Zion, like to be a Zion people and to prepare us. And I can't tell you how many people were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, oh, because he's veiling it, right? And I think we have to, we can't, we have to look at, at the prophet's words, just like Isaiah, you know, that it's, it's, it's going to be veiled. It's not going to be obvious and straightforward, like, mm-hmm. like it has in the past. And that's exactly okay. what Cameron's highlighting is lest they see with their ears and like, the righteous will see with their um, eyes and hear with their ears, understand in their heart and repent, which our prophets called us to, and then be healed. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I see so many parallels with president Nelson, you know, uh, there's lots of different camps and different things with um, we know that there's going to be ecclesiastical persecution in the, the last days. That's what Isaiah helps us see but it, it's sure not coming from President Nelson yet. <laughs> I mean, if it, if it, some people believe that, you know, like our, our general church leadership has to deceive us, but I, I don't, I don't subscribe to that at all. Uh, President Nelson is following right in line with Isaiah with, with seraphim level things. Um, it, it's amazing. We follow our prophet. The Lord's not going to let this generation dwindle with, without a, a true prophet kind of a thing. I know that there's going to be a Davidic servant and it may or may not be President Nelson, but regardless, like President Nelson is, if you're studying scriptures and, and understanding the pattern, it's all falling right in line there. Well, and I think it's interesting where he says, you know, well, for how long am I supposed to speak like this, right? Like mm-hmm. how long am I supposed to be all veiled? And he says, until he clears the land out, right? And it even says in the center of the land, mm-hmm. where yeah. is Zion going to be? And it's supposed to be totally cleared out, right? So that the people can come and build Zion there. So while yet a tenth of the people remain in it or return, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, a huge parallel there. It may not even be until that point that he begins to be very poignant in, in his direction and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you just referenced there that the 10th or the tithing thing, I, I remember seeing Libby comment here. Um, she says that uh, the 10th is a tithing paid to the Lord was interesting to me. And it's interesting how uh, he goes in, especially in his commentary and stuff too, where it's a 10th of a 10th. And um, uh, anyway, it, it's very interesting if you go and listen to his commentary on, on this chapter, um, some very interesting insights and perspectives. Uh, yeah, go ahead, mom. You're uh, muted. <laughs> okay, so I just wanted to, I, in verse 1 and verse 13, the, the start and the end, they both talk about uh, a posterity, your offspring. The, the skirt of his robe, when you talk about that, that's about posterity it's talking about posterity but it's interesting well i i don't know how far that extends if it's his but here on the last part it says the holy offspring 
That's the ones that are righteous, are the ones that are going to be left standing. I think that's a really neat promise right there. Mm-hmm. When you go through all these things, that it's the holy offspring that are going to be left standing. Yeah. And, you know, Isaiah can be applied in, in lots of different ways and everything. Um, but, you know, son servants and, and above, you know, we enter into a new uh, father-son relationship kind of thing, you know. Uh, so that can be a holy offspring. Um, but if you listen to Avraham's commentary again, um, that, that skirt of the robe, uh, he's actually seen the Lord's posterity, uh, Je- Jesus, Jehovah's. Uh, posterity filling the sanctuary there um, oh that's, that's cool i didn't know that yep, yep. all right so let's go into chapter seven so we see from wait, the wait, wait, wait. oh yeah wait. Go for it. i want to say something talking about the tenth of a tenth i just kind of had this thought i don't know why i didn't have it when i was studying but i thought what's the membership of the church what's a tenth What's a tenth of that? Just kind of interesting that a tenth of a tenth in the church membership is 166,000, kind of close to 144,000. Oh, interesting parallel there. Yeah, I hadn't done the map on that before. That's, that's very insightful. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of it till you guys were talking about it and it just came to me. But anyways, just kind of interesting. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, we shall see. Oh, Cameron. Yeah. Are we included in that posterity? Are we? In which sense? Are you, are you saying like literal sense or like some servant sense? Whatever you say. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Jenna always takes me to task on things. She wants my opinion and answers. <laughs> I mean, I think both, yes, uh, obviously. Um, if you look at any of the, the early... Uh, church membership, Wilfred Woodruff, uh, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, uh, they all openly talked about how many of the members are Christ's literal posterity. Um, that, I mean, they, they talked about it at the pulpit, if you look at their, their meeting minutes and stuff. So I think that we have a lot of that uh, royal lineage, uh, royal bloodline in our, our world and, and church today. But um, very much so with the, the son servant level speaking as well. I think, I don't know. Everything on this thing is my opinion. So <laughs> I, think that's why, I think that's why those early members joined the church. Is it saying to their soul because it was what, what they'd been taught as posterity of Christ and the, and mm-hmm. even maybe the 12 apostles. That's what I've read that um, has been taught. Yeah, for sure. All right. All right. So now that we've got uh, his prophetic commission, now we're going to go into some historical context and then look at Ahaz and and what's happening here. So um, let's see. Remind me, uh, uh, Shamala, I think that you had raised your hand. Um, Would you read like 10 verses or so? You bet. Um, since I'm unmuting, I wasn't going to say this, but with that last question, um, in my personal opinion is that it's up to each of us to get confirmation of that, right? Take that question to the Lord and say, 
hey, Heavenly Father, am I part of this? Am I included in this? And to get that answer, not just from Cameron, because he's super cool and really in tune, <laughs> um, but also to get the answer for yourself. I would highly encourage anyone who hasn't um, to get the answer for themselves. And maybe, oh gosh, it's giving me chills, um, to do what Joseph Smith did and ask where your standing is with the Lord as a side note. Okay. Yep. Um, thank you for letting me take that moment. All right, back to chapter seven. Um, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, Rezin, king of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not overpower it. And when the house of David was informed that Aram was leading Ephraim on, the king's mind and the minds of his people were shaken, as trees in the forest are shaken by a gale. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out and meet Ahaz, you and your son, Shear Jashub, at the end of the aqueduct of the upper reservoir, on the road to the laundry plaza. Say to him, see to it that you remain calm and unafraid. Be not intimidated by these two smoking tail ends of the kindling, by the burning anger of Rezin and Aram, and the son of Remaliah. Even though Aram was conceived an evil, even though Aram has conceived an evil plot against you, as has Ephraim and the son of Remaliah, who say, Let us invade Judah and stir up trouble there. We will take it for ourselves by force and set a ruler over it, the son of Tabial. Thus says my Lord, the Lord, or Jehovah, the Lord. It shall not occur or transpire, for as surely as Damascus is the capital of Aram, and Rezin, the head of Damascus, within 65 years, shall Ephraim be scattered as a nation. But as surely as Samaria is the capital of Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah is the head of Samaria, you will not believe it, because you are not loyal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. So we have a lot of stuff there. And if you would have asked me even six months ago, what does all that mean? I would have given you blank stares. <laughs> there's, there's so much packed in there. Lots of history, uh, diving in and, and figuring out this, this stuff is, is very interesting. So let's go to the, the commentary on chapter seven here. Um, so we already kind of found out who Aram and uh, Pekka are there. Let's find this other. Okay, so the commentary here on verse 3 I found very enlightening. It says that during Ahaz's reign, when Isaiah couldn't prophesy directly, he did so indirectly by giving his son's portending names, such as Sher Jashub, which means a remnant shall return. Um, symbolic of the Davidic dynasty, the perpetual Gihon Spring, the upper reservoir that's mentioned here, was the place where Davidic kings were anointed. So anytime that... Uh, a new king pops up, uh, they, they go and make the Davidic covenant for their people at the Gihon Spring, or at least they're supposed to. And so I think that that's very telling that that's where the Lord instructs Isaiah to go and, and call Ahaz to, to repentance or, or a wake-up call is this is a specific place that, that Gihon Spring is, is huge. And uh, Jehovah's message to Ahaz was thus to remind him of the Davidic covenant. If he kept its terms, Jehovah would protect him and his people. If he didn't, only a repentant remnant of his people would survive a future calamity. 
So again, going back to the fact that we have this young 20-year-old king trying to um, play the <laughs> uh, a, a big game of risk here on, on lots of different uh, facets, it, it's amazing what the Lord is really doing. He's sending a prophet directly to him to, um, to say, trust me, trust the Lord. Um, uh, what a... I don't know. I, the more I dive into the story, the more I realize how the Lord is so loving and kind in our, our weakness that we can, um, he'll help us through anything. We just have to trust in him and, and keep the terms of the covenant. Um, don't you feel like that's what president Nelson's doing to us is reminding mm -hmm. us of the covenant. Yeah, exactly. So much so. And just stay calm and at peace that mm -hmm. there is peace even in the middle of the storm yeah hey go where's that plot right there to uh -huh. put in a puppet king is that it was down a little bit i thought i yeah okay do you feel like that's what we're living right now <laughs> for sure like there it it didn't happen because the Lord had promised there would always be a Davidic servant or the Davidic line would be king. That wasn't promised here. And so as I was reading this, I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm reading about what's going on today. Who are these different kingdoms that have all come together and are ruling the puppet or, or making the puppet move? Sasha might have something to speak about that. <laughs> I like having two sisters here that are just calling each other out. Oh, I think you have something. Yep. <laughs> I I have my thoughts and I don't know if I'm ready to share them just yet, but I definitely agree with you, Alethea. Yeah, that that it is all just a show for now, and that that it's definitely being ruled by a puppet. Mm -hmm. We have a puppet ruler for sure. Yeah. Uh, in group A and B, we talked about possibilities, like who does Ahaz represent in our modern, what we're living right now? Uh, who's our King Ahaz? Who's our Isaiah? Who's uh, Pekka and Remaliah? And um, who's this puppet ruler that, that they're talking about here? It, okay, since you brought that up, <laughs> maybe I will say something. See, I couldn't get there to do it, but Cameron did. <laughs> yeah, I knew exactly where you were going with it. <laughs> I had the same question, right? And the, one of the first things it said was in the year King Uzziah died. So I was like, okay, well, I'm not, who is this King Uzziah, right? So I went and did a little research. Who is King Uzziah? And so I made a list of all the characteristics of King Uzziah and things that he had done, things that he was known for and whatever, right? Things that happened in his life. Well, lo and behold, I started to see a little parallel. <laughs> so I did a little more research and lo and behold, it matched up almost perfectly with a specific president that is no longer president with Donald Trump. And mm -hmm. I thought how interesting it was, like they both built walls. They both right down to, there was um, King Uzziah, I don't remember specifics and details now. It's something to do with a, a pond or a lake. There was a dispute about water. And King Uzziah resolved that dispute on water. Did you guys know there's a Trump lake 
because there were three nations that were disputing or two nations that were disputing over water rights. Well, Trump was like, uh, okay, well, I'll just build a second lake. <laughs> so he built another lake and resolved the dispute over the water rights. <laughs> so you write down the things like that. I was like, no, I didn't even know about this. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very interesting that you asked that because I think there are there is a lot of value to going through and looking into who these people were specifically, and because I, I I do believe in the duality, and I think if we can identify who that is today, then it helps to give us some insight into where we're going and where we're at, and you know all of that. Very interesting. I, I'm glad that you brought that up because. Uh, I, I did the same thing, but Ahaz equaled Trump in, in my studies and uh, in the pattern stuff. And so I, I think there's a lot of duality in, uh, it can be multifaceted. You know, Isaiah uses composites a lot of times to, to pull out some of these patterns and, and things. But through all of it, no matter who, well, uh, whoever the Lord is leading you in your studies to, to put things for, um, I think that those are, are very handy in, in our day and age to, to see how the patterns of Isaiah play into to our modern things. And yet Ahaz and Uzziah are son and grandfather. Mm -hmm. So in some sense, you could say it's the same family. Mm -hmm. Right? Which, yeah. who was the one that brought about the... Um, the changing of, you know, bringing Israel, Jerusalem, sorry, it's very late for me. <laughs> um, uh, what was that? Not the peace treaty, but the other one where they moved, they moved the UN, right? No, yeah. they moved the, um, they moved the capital, capital city to Jerusalem. Thank you. Yes, they moved the capital. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's late. Um, yeah. And that was Trump's son, right? Mm -hmm. Well, son-in-law, right? But anyway, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, because King Uzziah's son or whatever. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, lots of parallels. There are so many fun ones. Um, so let's go into what Ahaz does and says here. Um, let's see. I think Cindy had raised her hand. If not, <laughs> would you read? <laughs> um, let's see. Verse 10 through... Uh, let's see how many verses we got 10 through that so um like 10 through 18 if you would okay yeah sure again jehovah addressed ahaz and said ask a sign for yourself from jehovah your god whether in the depths below or in the heights above but ahaz said i will not i will not put jehovah to the test then isaiah said take heed o house of david is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Must you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, will my Lord of himself give you a sign? The young woman with child shall give birth to a son and name him Emmanuel. Cream and honey will he eat by the time he has learned to reject what is evil and choose what is good. How, oh, 18. Okay, but before the child learns to reject the evil and choose the good, the land whose two rulers you loathe shall lie forsaken. Jehovah will bring upon you and your people and your father's house a day unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah, the day of the king of Assyria. 
In that day, Jehovah will signal for the flies from the far rivers of Egypt and for the bees in the land of Assyria. Do you want me to keep going? Yeah, if you want to, you can just finish okay. up. And they will come and settle with one accord in the riverbeds of the prairie in, rocks, in rocky ravines and by all ditches and waterholes. In that day, my Lord will use a razor hired at the river, the king of Assyria, to shave your head and the hairs of, hair of your legs and to cut off even your beard. Just want me to read till the end? Uh-huh, yeah, so through 24, okay. yeah. All right, in that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and a pair of sheep. And because of their plentiful milk, men will eat the cream. All who remain in the land will feed on cream and honey. In that day, every plot of ground with a thousand vines worth a thousand pieces of currency shall be briars and thorns. Men will go there with bows and arrows for the whole land shall revert to wilderness. And on all hillsides cultivated by the hoe, you will no longer go for fear of the briars and thorns, but they shall serve as, as a cattle range, a terrain for sheep to tread down. All right. So um, I kind of want to dive into to some of these things, but verse 12 is kind of the, the whole highlight of all of this. Well, I mean, uh, 11 and 12. So here God is saying, I, I'm, I'm giving you a prophecy through my prophet, go ask for a sign from Jehovah your God, whether, uh, and it can be any kind of sign, you get to choose, whether in the depths below, heights above, ask me anything for a sign and I'll give it to you. But what does Ahaz do? I mean, this is a young 20 year old, thinks in, he knows better than, than the Lord. I will not, I will not put Jehovah to the test. Do we see that, you know, like in Book of Mormon themes and, and stuff as well? When Nephi asks his brothers, like, have you inquired of the Lord? No, the Lord doesn't make anything known to us like that. Like, but if he'll just ask, like ask for a sign, ask for uh, confirmations on, on things like uh, Shamala was saying, you know, <laughs> don't just take my word for any of uh, my opinions here and stuff, but no, go to the Lord, have that kind of experience with deity himself. He loves to, to teach many of his principles on his own. Uh, that's why some of the mysteries aren't just wildly or wildly, uh, widely given out there um, in our Sunday school manuals, etc. That's, uh, we, we need to go to the Lord. He wants to teach us uh, personally some of these things. Um, but has his rebellion here. I will not, I will not put Jehovah to the test. And then it all goes downhill from here. <laughs> uh, so many things uh, to, to prophesy and um, to link to. Uh, there in verse 14, this whole Emmanuel uh, prophecy, this child uh, shall give birth uh, to a son and name him Emmanuel. This is now foreshadowing to the other half of the chiasm. So this new Emmanuel is going to represent King Hezekiah um, and what Emmanuel will will do for the people. And again, duality, it also replaced, uh, refers to uh, Jehovah when he, he comes incarnate as well. Um, and then the other one that I wanted to dive into. So um, verse 20 here, I think that this is super interesting. 
and and listening to the commentary it just kind of opened my eyes to, to lots of stuff as well um but in that day my lord will use a razor hired at the river the king of assyria to shave your head and the hair of your legs and to cut off even your beard so um i don't know if if you've uh, caught on the anytime that there's bolded words in the isaiah institute um translations it's either pointing to the davidic servant or to the antichrist so one of one of the two or king of assyria um so uh, this razor hired at the river if you'll click on them when you're zoomed out it it talks about uh why that pseudonym applies to, to who it does. And so I want to go over to the, the commentary for verse 20, and we'll just read it directly from there. Sorry if I scroll really fast and make people dizzy. <laughs> All right, so it says that foreign armies represented by swarms of flies and bees invade the land of, in Jehovah's Day of Judgment, implementing his covenant curse. The king of Assyria, Jehovah's razor, takes captive the wicked of Jehovah's people, shaving their hair in the manner of slaves. Historically referring to the Euphrates as the river, here characterizes the archtyrant as Lord Nahar, or Lord River, the god of chaos in the Baal myth. The words head and beard allude to the people's leaders whom the Assyrians exile first as they did anciently, leaving the people leaderless. And if you listen to the audio commentary on this, he... he goes way further into it as well but um the the manner of the slaves it, it's kind of twofold so that slaves can be easily recognized uh, amongst a crowd you know the the bald ones the the shaved ones those are going to be your slaves but also for hygienic purposes as well we see that from world war ii uh with the holocaust camps uh, many were shaved so to prevent lice and and other things outbreaking um amongst the, the the slaves there so um there we have the the hair of the head but the the hair of the legs meaning uh anything below the belt uh he avraham believes that it, it's a euphemism or or taking that to to mean that they um made them uh like the eunuchs uh, maybe castrated them or made them so that they couldn't have posterity there uh, that's just supposition, but uh, just throwing that out there. And then the the beard, the, the hair of the beard is uh, that uh, power, uh, the position of power, the kingship, and uh, leaving the people leaderless <clears throat> is a huge thing. So kind of taking the razor, the king of Assyria, and cutting all three of those uh, as separate um, things. I mean, it's not just he could have just said shaved all the hair of the body, but he, he delineated out the three different kinds for, for uh, a dual purpose there. I thought that was very interesting commentary. I, things I wouldn't have considered just reading through Isaiah. Um, but anyway, let's see. Cameron, also the word river there. meaning chaos and mm -hmm. yeah so that that bell myth <clears throat> we're, we're going to dive into that here in a couple of weeks for sure um really talking about the bell myth and what uh the the good and the bad people are from from that whole storyline um but but yeah that it's a very much a chaos motif um with that lord river nahar 
Um, one thing that we did in uh, group B that was very handy is started to use, um, well, I think we did it in group A too, but with a different word, but start to use the, the word links, the interactive concordance. And so um, along this, we, we see water being represented in multiple ways um, throughout these, these few chapters here. Uh, oh my gosh, it's already 10 o'clock. Okay, you know, maybe I we'll skip talk about chapter eight real quickly and get some good news. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm, I'm going to skip the word thing, but but I highly encourage to click on the interactive concordance and and start looking at um, some of these these word connections. I, I highly recommend like uh, water or um, what was the one we did in group A? I can't even remember. Um, but uh, like this this cream and honey. What does that mean? What does the milk mean? Um, uh, as going through the whole uh, book of Isaiah, very handy to, to do word link searches. Uh, one thing that I was listening to in Avraham's commentary, he says that he recommends uh, as people start out to spend 20 minutes a day doing word searches. Take a word and follow it all the way through Isaiah and uh, you'll start catching on to things much quicker if you spend 20 minutes a day doing word searches. And so that's one thing that I've Highly recommend. I've been trying to do that, um, getting good at, at, at those words. Um, so yeah, let's go to chapter eight. Um, yeah, Alethea, you want to read that for us? <laughs> sure. Jehovah said to me, take a large scroll. Oops, hold on. I can't. Take a large scroll and write on it in common script. Hasten the plunder, hurry the spoil. And I called in reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberchiah, to witness for me. And when I had been with the prophetess, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And Jehovah said to me, name him Meher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the child knows how to say father or mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be brought before the king of Assyria. Jehovah addressed me again and said, because these people have rejected the waters of Shiloh, which flow gently and rejoice in resin in the son of Remaliah, therefore will my Lord cause to come up over them the great and mighty waters of the river, the king of Assyria in all his glory. He will rise up over all his channels and overflow all his banks. He will sweep into Judea like a flood and passing through reach the very neck. His outspread wings will span the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Though nations form packs and they shall be they shall be routed, give heed all you distant lands. You may take courage in one another, but shall be in fear. You may arm yourselves, but shall be terrorized. Though you hold consultations, they shall come to naught. Though you make proposals, they shall not prove firm. God is with us. Jehovah spoke to me, clasping my hand and admonished me not to follow the ways of these people. For he said, do not call a conspiracy all that these people call a conspiracy. Be not afraid or awed by the thing they fear, but sanctify Jehovah of hosts, making him your fear, him your awe. And to you, he will be a sanctuary, but to the two houses of Israel and a, stum a stumbling block or obs obstructing rock and a snare catching unawares the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble into them and when they fall shall be broken. And when they become ensnared, shall be taken captive. For Jehovah has said, bind up, your bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. I will wait for Jehovah. 
he hides his face from the house of Jacob and expect him. As for me and the children Jehovah has given me, we shall be signs and portents in Israel from Jehovah of hosts, who dwells in Mount Zion. When men tell you to inquire of mediums and spirit, spiritists who huddle together and mutter, say to them, should not a people inquire of their God? Should one inquire of the dead on behalf of the living for doctrine and for testimony? Surely while they utter such words devoid of light, they roam about embittered by hunger. And when they are hungry, they become enraged and gazing upward, curse their king and their God. They will look to the land, but there shall be a depressing scene of anguish and gloom. And thus are they banished into outer darkness. And there's the good news. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, what, what's everyone's thoughts on, on chapter eight here? What, what's being said? What can we learn and, and apply from it? Um, I think that the only covenants that will be kept are the ones that are made of the Lord, through the Lord, by the Lord, with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, I had actually a lot of, and I know when you, it's interesting how when you read a scripture and the spirit will impress upon your mind an understanding, and then you go back and you read it, you're like, oh, that's not what it says or whatever, right? <laughs> and I had a lot of that in these in this chapter, actually. And um, like things that I, and maybe it's just because these are things that I need to be careful of. And that's why the spirit told me about it. But like he was, it was very clear to me that we like these conspiracies and, and whatever, like we have, we could have nothing to do with them that whatever we do it should be in complete open and honesty like we should not be um lying to conceal our food storage for instance because we don't want to be plundered or you know whatever right like we because that would be disobeying our covenant right any form of deceit any form of attack or whatever right and so I have found it really interesting that it it it's kind of the gospel is really oxymoronic to me. It really is, and this is one of those times when, like, it the, the thing that is the right thing to do is actually opposite of what logic would tell you the right thing to do would be. Right. So, mm -hmm. for instance. Um, like we would think that the right thing to do would be to stand up and to speak out and to align ourselves with different groups and different people that are um, part of, I don't know, whatever it is, right? The movements. Are you saying like is. make alliances with people? Yes. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Yes, because that's the words that are used. Yes, like make alliances, right? And um, and he warns us of that. Don't do that. And mm -hmm. so in what seems the right thing to do is not. And in, in actuality, by us, I don't want to say laying low, but in us maintaining our peace, mm -hmm. then we actually are standing up right we are standing up for truth because we are maintaining our our peace we're maintaining our covenants and there's no other way 
to win this except through that if through every every part of that covenant that we've made we have to keep it the whole the whole piece right mm -hmm. yeah i like that that parallel there where like in the book of mormon as soon as people start splitting out into different ites and different groups and, and aren't one in unity that's when that's satan's playground you know if we start mm -hmm. uh separating out into groups and and alliances and and things there i mean there's no good that can come of it and and what is president nelson trying to do be one let's all let's, let's get together stop stop separating and segregating out uh, if we can just be one then ye are mine we we are the lords in that unity there and uh i i, I it's just kind of the pattern that, that presents itself all the way through scriptures anytime that there's a, a unified people um that's when people are keeping their covenants and uh, actually honoring the lord kind of thing yeah well sure. yeah and in verse 12 you know it specifically says not to speak in the favor in in any regard or in secret right so mm -hmm. we like are not to even have our own secret combinations or whatever which is a yeah. tendency right like i know i like when the whole thing happened at the capitol there was a man out there with a flag that said, um, you know, it was um, Captain Moroni's titled Liberty, you know? And so here he is aligning himself with this or, you know, being part of this secret combination or whatever, trying to speak up for truth, but in all the wrong ways. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Shamala. Thank you to touch on that. Um, Verse 13 really stood out to me too, where it says that sanctify Jehovah, Lord of hosts, making him your fear and him your awe. And to me, the question was, where's your focus? Shamala, where are you focused? Are you focused on fear of the world or are you focused on fear of Christ, which really is just trust, not fear at all? Mm -hmm. um, and are we in awe of all of the terrible things that are happening around us right now and being surprised by those things? Or are we in awe of the goodness of God and all of the blessings that are happening? I don't want to downplay any of the bad stuff that's going on, but where, where our focus lies and our perception on that is everything. If we're dwelling only on the bad and not seeing God's hand in it, I don't know, at least in my experience, in my life, whenever I've done that, and I have so done that, um, it's an almost guaranteed downward spiral. So for me, it was just, you know, a self-check. Where am I? And I invite each of you to maybe ask yourselves the same thing, right? Like if we were sitting at the, the table with Christ at the Last Supper, Lord, is it I? Where am I? Am I in awe of thee? Or am I in awe of all the terrible things that are happening? Well, in Shema, I think yeah, that's really interesting that you say that because I, in my notes, I actually um, had put down like we, I think for, you know, one of the focuses that we should be on is bringing souls unto him, right? After all, that is his work and his glory to bring to pass each immortality and eternal life of men. So if we're focused on standing up and all of these other things, then how are we going to be? saving souls or whatever so i really like what you said that you know where is our focus where is our what are we really trying to accomplish here 
So, mm-hmm. and, and I think I think I that's. Go- oh, sorry. Go ahead. Is that okay? Um, mm-hmm. just to go along with that, our focus of I want the glory for me, right? I'm holding the flag. Look at me, or mm-hmm. I'm holding up Christ's light. Look at Christ. So, sorry, Olivia. No, I was, I was just going to say, I'm glad you said that. I was just going to say that I think a lot of people get frustrated in seeing what the prophet, first presidency apostles are focusing on mm-hmm. and that they're not doing enough or they're doing too much or whatever. And I think that really that's their call and commission is to bring others to Christ. And so they do what they have to, to keep the, the church out of the limelight, out of the controversy, whatever, so that they can continue to point others to Christ and preach of Christ and to testify of Christ. And so, you know, like I said, I hear a lot of people really frustrated and we just need to have faith in what their call and what their mission is and support them in that. And we need to emulate that too. And that's helping you know, to Heavenly Father to bring about his purpose. Well, and isn't that also what, I'm sorry, I just totally lost my train of thought. What the Savior does is what I was going to say. What was the part you said right before that very end? Um, that we help this, we help the Lord bring about his. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. Sorry. Um, yes. I mean, it's that's what the Lord, I mean, look at all that he's accomplished with so many imperfect people, right? Like if we were to wait for, like, I know like the NAACP, right. And a lot of people have criticized them for joining or aligning with them, but gosh, if we wait for, um, you know, an organization that is perfect, like we're never going to find it. Right? There's always going to be organizations and humanitarian efforts that are don't always align with our belief. And we have to just accept that because otherwise there's no way we could even get any of it done. Like you said, Alethea. And how prideful to think that the church is perfect, yes. right? And yeah. has because right. it obviously, you know, holy cow, all of our daughter just got home from her mission and she's like, holy cow, holy cow missionaries are not what I thought they were. And it's like, you know, if anything was going to bring the church down, it would be missionaries. (laughs) (laughs) And yet that's who the Lord still trusts to teach and preach and bring others to Christ. And, and so you, you know, that this is his work and this is his church. Yeah. It's beautiful. Can I touch on that? Sorry. My husband and I had the missionaries over for dinner tonight. And part of what we talked about was the opportunities that we've had. Like I personally have had the chance to meet probably half a dozen um, of the brethren of the quorum of the 12, you know, first presidency in person and like general really city president and hugger and things like that. Like, like actually communicate with them um, or see them within handshaking distance. And And the coolest thing that we talked about was that they're human. That was my very favorite part about meeting any of them was the the pure humanity, not how amazing they were, not how perfect they were, not how righteously they're living their amazing lives, but the fact that they're human and they live human lives. 
And for whatever reason, where you talked about the missionaries, they're, they're human too. And you're right. The Lord trusts them just like the Lord called the apostles and the prophets to do their job. But, you know, they're still human, just like us. Mm-hmm. And so to keep that in mind, and yes, even though the missionaries are representatives of Christ and so are the leaders of the church, um, the, the gospel may be perfect, but the people are not. And so to always keep that in remembrance with love, I think, and, and I'm saying this because I've not done it always. So I'm speaking to myself too. Um, but to, to think on them with love and their imperfections with love and with forgiveness, just like the savior would. It's not something I've always been good at. And I'm still learning to do that now. That's, something, that was my- that's something my husband and I keep saying is we just need to give more grace and mercy to people. Like we have to focus on because um, the Lord gives us grace and mercy. We need to give grace and mercy to others. But it's not easy. It's hard. It's hard. Let me have that. It's very hard. It is so hard. That's why we're working on it. Yeah. That's why we're working. It is. It's so hard and it's so frustrating. And uh, yeah, we have a high councilman who has a soapbox and every time he comes, I just cringe and it just irritates me. And then I just think, okay, I just need to give him grace and mercy. Just give him grace and mercy. It'll be okay. <laughs> Someone in the audience needs to hear it the way he's saying it. Someone does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though it's hard. Right? So this week's uh, uh, podcast on the uh, DNC talks just about all of that stuff about how the members in the early church were were disappointed with Joseph and that didn't think he was a, a prophet anymore and and uh, where the DNC says yeah I, I know Joseph Joseph uh, Joseph isn't perfect but you know he's the prophet and then was really neat to hear some of the other prophets or some of the other brethren who became prophets say, I don't have a problem with that. As long as I know that that Joseph is still human, that gives me a little bit of hope being human. And uh, I thought that was a really good comment. And um, so some of the other things in there uh, about the brother that uh, Wilcox, Brother Wilcox talked about, Brad Wilcox, it was really interesting. He said, you know, they took a survey of of the brethren and how the older generation of the church versus the younger generation of the church, look at all these changes in the church and how the older generation is saying, yeah, we need to slow down on these changes. And the younger generation is saying, you know, these changes aren't coming fast enough. And, you know, oftentimes we look at this and we just see one piece of the puzzle and we don't see the whole thing. And at the end of the day, we just have to have faith that Heavenly Father uh, you know, is in charge that Jesus is, is it's his, it's his church. And, and just know that we have a living prophet who, who actually is guiding us in every single way possible to take us back to him. Hey, thanks for confirming that I'm in the younger generation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can send me the $20 later. <laughs> It helps me to remember that uh, President Nelson is the 
you know, president of the church, but he's also the prophet of the world too. And some of those decisions probably, you know, there's reasons behind it that we don't understand. In fact, if I could build on that, you know, in these podcasts that I listened to this week, it said, you know, the brother and, I, and, I, and I've got some of these quotes. I, I can't pull them off my head right now, but it said, you know, we as a church uh, are also learning and that uh, just because the brethren at one point in time said that certain people can't have the priesthood, he said, we just didn't know uh, everything back then. And, you know, that was only 30, 40 years ago, right? And it says, you know, and then I think it was in the dedication when we were in Rome, where President Nelson said, you know, there's, there's still a lot more to be discovered and, and revealed to us uh, with the church. And so we're on a continual migration pattern here of establishing the fullness. Uh, a lot of things are in the fullness, but there's a lot more things coming our way. And I think we'll all be surprised as we start to see what's happening. For sure. Yeah. Like uh, as I've been listening to, to Avraham's commentaries and stuff as I'm working, that you'd be surprised how many things Isaiah is prophesying that will be restored that we haven't experienced yet. And so um, I, that's one of my favorite parts of Isaiah now is like looking for some of the, the little gems of, oh, we haven't really seen that yet. We haven't seen that yet. Like this, the restoration that, you know, the, the church always references, you know, just Joseph Smith and, and his era. But I mean, it, we're, we're very much uh, young in the, the the restoration of the the fullness of the gospel it's all there in the book of mormon and and in isaiah if we'll just uh look for it and and things i anyway i i found that very interesting going through Avraham's uh commentary there um but it, just even here in this story of ahaz and and hezekiah the things that that they were experiencing and isaiah's pointing out between the two uh, we have yet to see some of those things uh, fully come out in, in the restoration. Um, sorry to kind of cut it short. I mean, <laughs> we went over a little bit, but um, uh, I, I'm, I'm so excited to, to be looking at, at Ahaz and Hezekiah and, and going to uh, King Hezekiah next week is, is quite a, a deep dive. We have quite a bit of reading material to, to look at and everything, but I highly encourage people to go and uh, look on YouTube or uh, Wikipedia, whatever, get familiar with King Hezekiah's story. Uh, where does Hezekiah's tunnel fit into the thing? Uh, where, what is the chron, uh, chronological uh, uh, perspective that, that King Hezekiah brings to the Isaiah story? Uh, kind of dive into some of that this week and, and you'll find that it really richly enhances what Isaiah is saying here and uh, how that compares to the to King Ahaz's story. Uh, it's very interesting. So uh, just real quick, I don't know if anyone else has been through Hezekiah's tunnel. I don't know if you have Neo or not, but um, and some others, but it's one of the most incredible experiences you can do when you're in Jerusalem and to understand that story as to why they even built that tunnel the way they did mm -hmm. and, and the purpose of it and how they even connected it in the middle. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
so any last thoughts, comments, things? So uh, first of all, before I throw that open, um, is the way that we're doing this helpful as we're just like reading the scriptures and, and looking at different commentaries, uh, et cetera, uh, if there's any ideas to make this better or, or anything, you know, a book club is way different than actually diving into scripture and trying to analyze things and pull out uh, some of this meat. Um, I'm totally open to suggestions, uh, just kind of wanting to, to throw that out for feedback. Um, I find it super helpful to, to kind of go verse by verse in a group, but uh, whatever you guys would want to do, uh, I'm totally open to that. And, and with that, any other comments and questions before we end for tonight? All right. Well, it's been super fun. Lots of <laughs> great discussion. I never know where things are going to go, but uh, it's always so fun studying with, with everyone. Um, we will see everyone next week. <laughs> Have a great week, everyone.